0: The Credible Nerds present The Fourth Taviren, a Wheel of Time podcast. Where next?
1: The two rivers. There are rumors of four Taviren there. All the right age. The old blood runs deep in those mountains. Let's hope it's prepared them for what's coming.
0: Welcome back, Wheel of Time fans. This is the 4th Taviran podcast as we review various aspects of the Wheel of Time. This episode, we will focus on the Wheel of Time episode 2, entitled Shadows Waiting. And it follows immediately after the events of episode 1 when the group left their hometown of Emmonsfield, Field. And we see what happens next. So we'll be... Uh, talking about how inevitably there will be some comparisons between the show and the book, because we were book fans long before show fans, obviously. But uh, we do want to give the show a fair shake. We want to, you know, praise it for where it uh, where it needs praising and deserves praising, and but also, you know, see where it falls short and talk about that as well. Uh, so my name is Justin. I'll be your host. And I have my fellow host with me, my fellow Taviran with me, Mark and Kyle.
1: Hey guys, how's it going? Hey, good to see you guys again.
0: All right, so after the events of episode one where the, the group immediately had to leave due to an oncoming Trolloc attack, uh, the group Moraine, Lan, and the Emmonsfielders, Egwene, Rand, Matt, and Perrin left on horseback to go to the White Tower in Tarvalon. Is it Tarvalon or Tarvalon? How do you guys I, say?
1: It? I always say Tarvalin. Yeah, I always say yeah, Tarvalen.
0: Yeah, same. So Tarvalin. And on their way, they, in this first episode, they're fleeing the group and the group of Trollocs. And they end up going through the, the woods and come up to Terran Ferry. You know, the Terran Ferry people are part of the two rivers, just a different part of the valley there or the area. And they have to cross this river, Using the ferry to cross the Terran and Terran ferry. But um, so they get there, and the guy's like, "Okay, I'll take you across, but I need to wait for my son." But they they pay him enough gold that he they get in the, on the ferry and cross over. And then the the horde of Trollocs come with a fade. Uh, the merge draws there, and they're like, "Oh crap!" And but they can't cross the river. They're afraid of water. So the group's safe for the moment. So they get across and the the ferryman is like i gotta go back i gotta cross back to the river to the trollocs to save my son and the whole time i'm thinking what is this guy blind i don't get like what his purpose is but i don't know what do you guys think of the sequence and how does it compare to the books i thought it was pretty much the same thing um but uh, i don't what do you guys think
1: i liked it and i didn't right i mean It's it's part of the movie. It's good, right? You got to cross cross the whole thing. Um, I I felt it was silly, like that guy. As far as the show goes, this guy gets across the river, and he's like, "Well, let me go back across. I got to get my my family," you know. And they're like, "Uh, "There's nobody left alive over there." And he's like, "Oh, you guys are as bad as the children." It's like, "What are you like? Are you for real?" Like. It, wait a minute do you see across the river right now because uh so for me that was kind of weird just just as the movie itself yeah. um but you know I, I thought it was pretty cool i mean there, there's some good parts i i i like the fade the fade yeah. is pretty cool that scream right that fade scream i uh, i dig that um i picture the fade obviously looking a little bit different Uh, I think from the art artwork that we see in the white book and things like that, you know, you, you kind of have this idea what it'll look like, but um, but overall I thought it was pretty, pretty good scene over, you know, pretty good uh, scene from,
2: for what we get out of it. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I mean, I think it was, yeah, I mean, it, it was all right. I think it, obviously it's a little bit, I mean, it, it follows basically kind of what happens in the book, but it's, it it is a little bit different, right? I mean, they still appeal to the greed of the, of, you know, of, of master high tower in the book, right? right. And, you know, they, they, he ends up letting them cross, but he, you know, routes the ferry crew, right? It's not just him to help them get across the, the the river. And so I, I mean, I, I get kind of the play that they were trying to make around, um, Uh, kind of showing that not everybody loves the Aes Sedai, right, and kind of, you know, making sure that people understand that, yeah, I mean, the children can, you can understand where the children of of light kind of get their viewpoint sometimes of Aes Sedai kind of pulling strings and kind of doing what they feel like doing, regardless of the consequences sometimes, Um, but yeah, definitely a little different from the book. Overall, that uh, was pretty good. I, I liked the world, the whirlpool thing, right? I don't think—is it Moraine that actually makes that happen in the books, or is it just happen? I can't no, she remember makes, if Moraine does it. She makes it
0: happen. Um, I always thought she did.
2: Yeah,
1: I mean, you would assume so because it would just be a weird naturally occurring event
0: <laughs> on a river, right? Um,
2: right yeah i can't remember anyways yeah so i mean i think they stuck pretty true but yeah yeah
0: good yeah so they're able to delay the the trollocs and the murdral for a bit and they move on and they eventually find a place to camp and this is where we get the scene where uh moraine pulls eggween aside and you know teaches her a little bit about the one power how to use it and they use the the jewel that Moraine wears on her head, the, the stone. And Moraine um, kind of coaxes, coaches her, coaxes her into using the one power to make the jewel uh, light from within. And I thought that was a pretty cool part. I liked, you know, we need to see that as viewers. First time viewers need to see that. I think as readers, it's, it's, it's good to see that included that part included in the show because so we can see you know, there, we can see the connections there, and that's for me. That's always important, big or small. We need to see those connections. We're not going to see all of them, but I'd like to see as many as we can. Um. Then one part, they they go to sleep, and r- the Rand, Perrin, Matt, and Egwene have these dreams apparently, and they end up pulling bats out of their mouths in the dream, gagging on these bats and pull them out. And then he wakes up and it's just a dream, but then the bats are sitting there on the ground and he sees them. And so this is where we get the first mention of the dark one touching their dreams. And so Moraine wants to know about it in the future. For, for you, Kyle, how did you interpret this interpretation of what we read about in the books
2: oh well, it was rats in the books wasn't it it was all rats, right. not bats.
0: those rats yeah yeah
2: so I, I don't know for me it was i think it still illustrates the same points i, I kind of miss the the detail in the book about the rats right because you think of rats and i guess bats can kind of symbolize this too but in my mind rats always kind of were agents of the dark one right which is why the whole point in camelyn was to actually set up wards against rats, right? And all these vermin to keep the Dark One's influence and spies and other things like that out, right? <laughs> so the fact that it was bats is kind of a, a little bit of a disappointment for me, but I mean, I can understand where they're kind of illustrating the same point in that uh, the Dark One can have, you know, physical manifestations in their dreams that manifest in the real world afterward, right? And then you get that first look at Balsamon, right? In the dream with the, with the, um, you know, with the eyes and everything else like that i thought that was actually kind of cool um i don't think that Egwene had these dreams though in the book obviously right because i think in the in the book the prophecy is res- restricted to the dragon being male right but but yeah i mean ultimately i don't think that's a huge detractor again I, i'm trying to look at this a lot through that this is and we've had conversations about this that this this is inspired by the books not necessarily restricted to the books right and and having done that i'm enjoying it a lot more so long and the short of it is yeah it's not rats it's bats but i I think ultimately it's uh it still kind of conveys the same message so
0: for you mark we saw balzaman what'd you think
2: balzaman looks good
1: um I definitely liked it. I I just have a hard time. Um, I get that Rave Rave wants to make it his thing. You know, he's taken it and sprinted away and done whatever he wants to do with it. But what a simple thing. You know what I mean? Like I get it. We we still get everything we need out of the scene. We do Uh, anything that would have happened, you know, with rats, you know, whatever, but it's, Kind of like with NARG speaking, why yeah. take that in? That is like, yeah. you know, yeah. part of the book. And even like just something as simple as rats. Why not? And I know we read on the online chats, you know, oh, what does it matter? They're in the forest. So it makes more sense. It's bats. You tell me there's not rats in forests?
0: Especially in the, the cave. been
1: out in the wild?
2: Right. No, exactly. Exactly.
1: Yeah. There's plenty of rats out there. So I don't know. It's just, um, just one of those things. But I mean... Cool looking balls and we we really only get to see flashes of them though, right? We don't really get to see a whole, like a a whole scene with him quite yet. I'm interested to see if they do a little explaining. I know in the books, um, Rand talks to when he becomes Morden and asks him, how did you do that at the beginning? I never figured that out Um, as far as the dreams and stuff go. So I wonder if they'll ever dive into that and kind of give us some answers there. Um, One thing I'm confused at though, that I just brought up while you guys were talking is it saying there's four Taverin, right? Um, which are the three guys in Egwene, I, I suppose. And which, which is fine. But then she said the dragon reborn can be one of you five. So there's potential that the dragon reborn would not be a Taverin. That doesn't make sense to me.
0: But yeah. anyways,
1: just a, just a thought.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm still confused about that as well. Who the fifth person is. I don't think it's, maybe it's Nynaeve. I don't know. But is she Tavirin or not? I don't think so. Well, they, they, I mean,
2: they, they kind of ruled Nynaeve out, right? With the whole. Uh, yeah. Because originally they're like, oh, it could be one of you five. And then Nynaeve's like, no, I'm actually 25, right? And she's like, oh, okay. Well, you know, it doesn't fit the age range, right? And so.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, as I, I, far but, as the I dragon. So that implies that she's going off the prophecy that was given at a certain time frame. And apparently the prophecy is different because the prophecy in the books is male, right? Sidine. but uh, they're acting like that prophecy is different or doesn't exist, that it could be a female. But yeah, I, I'm still confused about that. There could be a thread because in the beginning... Um, I think when they're going in last episode, when they're going to go to, uh, Emmons field, two rivers, Lana and Morena are, they say it's the, there's four to there. We need to go check it out. Right. Mm-hmm. So they, they're going there based off the, the four to but they're looking for five people. So I don't know where that fifth person, fifth yeah. person is coming from.
1: And this kind of brings, opens a box to like the age old argument. Are you born a Taverin or do you become a Taverin? And then it comes and goes because the books and reading the, um, the white book, it really seems to indicate that it comes and goes. You're not born a Taverin. Right. And, uh, and so how would she know that they're Taverin without ever meeting them?
0: Right. And, and where's that like, rumor coming from?
1: Yeah. Where's that rumor? Is that part of the prophecy, you know? And and like that came from somewhere. You don't just like, Hey, we're going to go to this random place. And by the way, through the grapevine, there's Fort Taverin there. Like why, if you know there's Fort Taverin there, why wouldn't you start there? Why wouldn't you be like, okay, we're looking for the dragon reborn. I know that this place has Fort Taverin, but on the off chance that it's not them, let's, let's go check them out last. Yeah. You know, it's just, that's what I'm saying is that Rafe, cool. You want to make it yours, but there's a reason that the book was written how it was written because it makes sense and there's a lot to it. Mm -hmm. And so when you do all this weird stuff, which is neat, it's your thing. It creates these gaping plot holes for people to understand what Taverin are, to understand what the dragon is, to want to understand what souls reborn are you know so anyways I don't know just, just some questions I had some thoughts
0: right in the book the story is the there's a dragon somewhere this age Moraine has a list she go down, goes down the list eventually makes it to the two rivers after they yeah. leave oh and it's male so it's going to be Rand Matt or Perrin one of them she doesn't know then they leave and then along the way they're like oh they're Taviran so it's, it's flipped in the story Dragon Reborn first, oh yeah, then they're Tavirin. But here it's, oh there's Tavirin there, and then it's one of them is the dragon.
1: Well, Yeah, and they don't even, in the book, they don't even discover they're until Loyal says something.
0: Right, and it's just Rand.
2: Yeah, so, I don't know. It's Rand originally, but then the other two kind of become yeah. Taviran as well.
0: Right. So if there's a story that is slowly unfolded that reveals why that move was made, I'll be okay with it. It doesn't make sense now though. in The first four episodes that we've gotten. Yeah. I'm just just confused.
1: I'm waiting for the flashback episode, right? The episode where where, we're like, we learn about this stuff. You know how they always have that one episode that's just kind of, in these episodes where it's like a flashback or something kind of almost outside the main story i'm waiting for that episode to talk about this kind of thing mm. but uh i don't know i guess we'll see um again i think that we're a victim of our own knowledge
0: yeah yeah so <laughs> well, I mean, even
2: i mean even in the books there are only select people who can really see Taviran in the books right i mean other other people can postulate that yeah this person might be a Taviran but you know, I think really the only people that really have the ability to see are you know, you have one, the Forsaken, who can see like the effects on the pattern, right? Like Ishamael and Manfier, but, but yeah, you know, Swan and Logain they can see these glows around Rand, right? And other things like that. And so it, kind of, it just gets back to the point that, yeah, you know, how does how do Moraine and Lan know that these folks are Tavirin? How are they even labeled Taviran? <laughs> right? And it's yeah. yeah, plot holes, plot holes, so many. Yeah.
0: yeah. So the the group but, is there. Go ahead.
1: Sorry, we forgot to talk about the very first episode, right? Or first scene with Eamon Valde.
0: Oh yes, the White Cloaks. So we're introduced to the White Cloaks and they're camping out. And one of them is brought this dish this bird to eat and basically he likes this bird he likes eating this type of bird because it is very tasteful and it causes him pain as he bites into the bones and it the bones cut his mouth so he's got this sadistic nature that we're shown as he's eating this bird but then we're also shown how he has an aes Sedai burning at the stake while he's just sitting there watching and eating his dinner and he, we see that he's cut off her hands, and for some reason, I don't know, maybe she can't channel, she can't move her hands, I don't know. But um, she's cut off her hands and she's tied to the stake burning, and he takes the ring off the Aes Sedai's hand, who's a yellow, by the way, a yellow Aes Sedai, uh, a yellow Aja of the Aes Sedai, and um, she takes the ring off the cut off hand, puts it. He has a collection of rings on his belt. And we later learn that's Eamon Valda. So we, for the first time, we get to see the white cloaks, how they're dressed, their armor. just kind of how they work a little bit with their tents and horses and stuff. What, uh, how'd you guys take in? We see them a little bit later in the episode as well. But how, what was this first impression for you guys with the, the white cloaks?
2: So for me, um, I always envisioned the white cloaks to be a bit more, to look a bit more militaristic, right? I I think they look okay in the in the actual you know story here in the in the representation, but I, I always pictured them differently. I don't think that's a huge deal, but um, I I thought that they 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 looked a little bit a little bit different their behavior is, is similar to kind of what I would have imagined, right? I mean, we don't like them. They're really kind of stuck up pains in the rear end, right? Um, the thing I didn't like about that scene was how, and, and you brought it up, Justin, how somehow cutting off the hands of an Adai has like prevented her from doing anything, <laughs> you know? And, and I know that kind of pulls from like other ideas. I mean, I get the whole idea that, you know, an Aes Sedai weaves, right. And, and you could imply that one would need their hands to weave. Right. And that kind of pulls from other fantasy, you know, series like the Gentleman bastards and other stuff like that. But um, yeah, no Aes Sedai would that, that I've read about is going to be hampered by just cutting off their hands. I mean, they're, they're, they can do a whole lot without their hands. <laughs> so, I thought that was a little bit silly and I hope that they don't continue with that idea that a nice guy needs her, his or her hands to to channel. Right? Um, so, I thought that was a little bit weird. Um, even Valda, though, I mean, I thought his behavior was great. I mean, I, the actor there, I, I thought he did a great job. He's he's yeah. I thought he really captured the essence of the character, but, but yeah, I thought that was very strange with the Aes Sedai and and that connection.
1: For sure. The, uh, in the book, it talks about the casters um, using the power and that hand gestures and all that is considered a weak form of, of casting. Like they, they basically teach, Teach I said I not to use their hands, right? So the idea of cutting off their hands is silly. I know that there's some uh, talk on the forums about they were using fork forkroot, right? Um, and that's why she couldn't cast. Um, that doesn't. I don't know. <laughs> I'm a book stickler, and that's not discovered till book nine. Yep.
2: yep. And, and where's the mention of it in the show? Like where's the fork forkroot? And yeah. You know, anyways.
1: So, uh, same thing. But I think, yeah, the character that played Eamon Valde, I think he captures who Eamon Valde is as a person, right? He is super arrogant, um, top of his world. Uh, He knows he is not matched by anybody, right? He is, you know, and that's the way this guy's attitude was. A super... just a dick <laughs> i don't know how to explain it right he is um if any of you guys are big D D players he is um he i think he would be cast as a uh he you know he, he is a lawful evil character is what it is he uses the bounds of the law as evil as possible you know like you deserve to die but i'm not going to kill you quick i'm going to burn you very slowly and then talk to you about how, you know, that this is the right path. Yeah. (laughs) And he's one of the
0: top swordsmen in the, in the books, right? He's a sword master.
1: Yeah, uh, definitely. I I would say he is top three.
0: Wow. Top three.
1: Yes. Okay. I would say, I think Lan is number one. Mm -hmm. Um, For sure. I would say that, uh, Bayo the Wild is number two. <laughs> you yeah. know who he is, and right, yeah. and then number three would would be him.
0: What about uh, I know Gilad? a lot. Of,
1: a lot of people would say Galad, but in, if you read the books, Galad won that that fight by chance. He did not win because he was the better swordsman.
0: <laughs> but he still won.
1: Oh I mean, yeah, yeah, <laughs> he did. And you, and you can say, you know, he still won. He did. Um, but I, right, I still think. Three. He's, yeah, I think he's top three swordsmen in the land.
0: Okay. So he's got that arrogance.
1: That yep. And so uh that that's canon, by the way, people. That's yeah. uh <laughs> tort- the cat canon. So <laughs> take take that to the take that to the cleaners.
0: Yeah. Um, but, uh, and boat he needs a questioner. But he's not wearing the red crook on his clothes for some reason. Again, details matter. I did that. Know- but uh, I that. yeah, so the group, uh, back to the, the group, they're sleeping. So, um, after they wake up, they head off again into the, the trees the wilderness. And, uh, they actually meet up with these white cloaks that we saw in the first of the episode and they are stopped by them. And we have, is it Bornhold that's there? Is that who it is?
1: Yep. Jeff from, Bornhold. Jeff, Jeff from Bornhold.
0: Yeah. Jeff from Bornhold, who's the leader of the group. Uh, Eamon Wald is there as well. And due to the, him being a questioner, he kind of has his own agenda. He can do his own thing he's not necessarily bound by what Bornhold tells him to do necessarily. But, um, so he's kind of outside the law as far as that goes. Um, but, uh, They question Moraine and Lan, and Moraine, uh, typical Aes Sedai, gives those Aes Sedai answers where she's not necessarily telling them the truth, but she's not lying. And they talk about how there's monsters who attacked them, and she shows them her wound from getting stabbed in the chest, but it's, you know, kind of infected. And so it's a tense moment. Uh, Even the Aes Sedai and Lan seem to be afraid of the white cloaks, so that's how powerful that group is. And there was there was more of them, so I can I can see why they'd be wanting to toe the line with them. You know, there's probably like twenty of them, and only um, seven of them. So they they say that they were attacked by monsters, and they were heading to the the war in Gildan in the south. So they they talk for minutes, and then they they leave. My guess on that interaction is there's, they're going to meet up again at some point in the near future and they're going to remember each other. Um, so it's kind of a, a foreshadowing of their later meetings is my take on it.
1: Mm -hmm. Um, okay. For me, I give this scene a 10 and I give it a zero all at the same time. Um, Attend 10 because it's awesome. Uh, I think we really capture who Jeff from Bornhold is. He is a major character in the first couple books, right? He, he helps push uh, the agenda. I, and I also think we see the two sides, the, the two extremes of the Children of Light. We see someone like Jeff and Bornhold and we see someone like Eamon Valda. Um, or the questioners and if you don't know who the questioners are they do a terrible job explaining anything so far in this in this show uh the questioners are part of the children of light but they are like the uh kgb of the children of light right they they're like the shadow group they they question people and basically they will do what they have to do to get a confession and they call that righteousness. So they're, they're just kind of an offshoot group. So, But it was good. I, I liked it. Let's give it a 10 there. As far as book content, and I'm not even talking about following the story. I'm just talking about where everything, you know, when all the dice fell. Eamon Valda is not a questioner in the book. He is a Lord Captain. And in this episode, he has a lower rank than Jeffrey Bornhold. But technically, they, oh, they have the same rank. They are both Lord Captains. And so here, not only is Eamon Valda not a Lord Captain, but he's in the Questioners, which doesn't happen in the book. So that's a big deviation for the book. That's where I give it a zero. And I give it a zero because the Children of Light are like my favorite group in the book. I love them, Um, which is weird, right? (laughs) Because they're terrible. I was going to say, really? really?
0: They're terrible,
1: but they're my favorite offshoot group. You know, you take away from the main story. You know, you talk about the Band of the Red Hand, you know, the the children that you know this group that group they are my favorite group they i i enjoy them i don't know why maybe it's because they beat people up and call it righteous <laughs> i don't know <laughs> but anyways um so i'm a stickler about that so i give it a zero um for following the story and a 10 because i i think it encapsulated who the children are
0: oh, I, for the I, show agree. it works would you say I for the show that, yeah
2: it's 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 weird that he's a questioner in the in the story or in the in the sorry in the story in the movies here but but yeah yeah to your point it's a 10 and a zero totally agree with that
0: so if you're wanting to know more about the children of the lights um or want to refresh we we did an episode a while back about uh the children of the light as an organization and who they are what they stand for and all that stuff so you know, go back, scroll through our, our history, our episode history, and you'll find uh, our thoughts on Children of the Light. So check that out for if you want to learn some more about that. Um, so after this encounter, they eventually are caught by the Trollocs in the all again. They catch up to them. And at this point, Moraine's, she's used the power. She's getting weak. Her wound's getting uh, more infected and just you know, slowly taking its toll on her. So she's pretty much inca- incapacitated at this point. And the group, they, they take off running and they eventually find their way to Shadar Logoth, which is um, this haunted city, deserted city that is haunted by this spirit, uh, this mist. And um, so they eventually make their way there. But on their way, before... I, want to, I do want to address. go back and address this. The, before they get into this chase scene, they are kind of just riding their horses along, and they, Matt sings this song about Minethrin. And so then after they sing it to kind of lift their spirits, they're like, oh, it's just a song. We don't really know what it means. And Moraine tells them about the, the story of Minethrin, about how many, many years ago, many generations ago, They were a mighty city, a mighty nation, one of the seven nations, and um, they were promised aid. The Dark One was attacking their nation. They were promised aid if they could hold out for three days and then help didn't come. And eventually, they just realized they were abandoned, but they still fought on till their death. And as a result, um, Monethrin, the old blood of Monethrin is often referred to as being stubborn, being fierce fighters, loyal you know, all these old, old school, um, traits. So, and since they're descendants of the people of Minethren, they, these Emonfielders are similar in, with those traits themselves. So Moraine lays that out for them. And we see that here. Um, any thoughts on, on that speech, um, and how it fits into the story? Did you guys like it?
1: Yes. I give this one an opposite 10 and zero. Uh, I give it a 10 for content because it, that's what it was, right? We, we learned a lot about Manethrin, which is neat. I like that. And it follows the books as far as the explanation. I give it a complete zero because if I'm watching this movie and I've never read a thing about the book, I'm like, what are they talking about? You know, like Manet what does that have to do with anything? you know and uh and so cool scene because it's straight from the book
2: terrible placement in the in the show yeah i agree i agree i think it's the content is right the placement is wrong because it's right. it it, to your point mark no nobody knows who who or what Monethrin is why it's even important i mean moraine kind of explains why right in the in the movie which is good right but but really, Manether, the, the idea of Menethor isn't brought, brought up until way, way later, and when you know, you know the, the the you know the notion that that it's an important city and it's an important part of their bloodline is relevant in the story. Whereas I just—I mean—I think it was just filler at this point in the show. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, and I think to your guys's point, the placement was off. In the in the books, we, we see it in one of the first chapters right before the Trolloc attack or maybe it was right after, right around that time, Moraine tells that story to the whole village of Emmonsfield because they've all forgotten it. They know the kind of the basics here and there, but they've forgotten the overall story and she tells that to him. It was a very powerful moment in the book. One of my favorite parts of the whole first part of the book was, you know, her telling that story and, It made sense because she's talking to everybody there, and it fits what had what's going on in that point of the story. And here it's just kind of like, oh, they're riding horses. I'm going to tell you the story. So it's it's cool that it's there, like I said. But it just seems off. And I did read that Rafe Judkins really fought hard to have this stay in in the the show. Like the Amazon people, executives didn't want it in there for some reason, or they thought it was filler i guess but he fought hard to have it there so that's good i'm glad that happened um i just think placement was off
1: yeah when it seems like the wrong fight of all the things you're going to take out and keep yeah. in that's probably something you could li- really take out i mean it's cool for like me that I- i'm a history buff anyway so when i read cool history inside the book i love it um <laughs> but that, i mean that really is something you could keep out it doesn't matter what man was 2500 years ago in the age because I think the age is something like 3000 years long um but I unless he's gonna do something with it later then I can see why you know we're talking like second season that's gonna really come back but I, I don't see a need for it but you know hey I mean this is the one time gave a Rafe Judkins a, a thumbs up for following the book
2: yeah. I agree. I just I, I want him to do something with it, right? Like it, it, there, there needs to be a reason why the story was told. Whereas, I mean, right now it's because somebody sang a song, right? Because Matt sang a song, right? Whereas, your point, Justin, I mean, it was used as kind of like a, a rallying cry in the books, yeah, right? Yeah. And and the way that Moraine tells it in the movies, it, it, you feel that oh man, Manetheren, right? And we're we're you know we're part of this this ancient royal city right that would give anybody you know a little bit of bolster there but it it just seems to man fall into a now that's an interesting story but what does that do for me i I hope that they either like flashback to it or something like that when it's relevant because to your point if they don't it's really just filler yeah
0: so they, like I said, they eventually made their way to Shadar Logoth, which was another one of the seven nations, ancient seven nations. And they were the ones that were supposed to help Manethrin, but didn't. And so they're able to, to go there into that city and hide. It's it's like I said, it's haunted or cursed. And so the Trollocs won't go in there. So they're able to have a, a slight reprieve and rest for a minute. And while they're in there, um, uh, Moraine is resting, and um, Rand and Egwene have a moment where they're just kind of they realize that they, you know, they still support each other, and then um, R- Matt wakes. He gets up and kind of wanders off into the city, and he's walking around. He the one thing that was kind of cool is uh, there's when he's sitting there and he's walking around, he hears whistling. And the whistling is the same whistle that we first heard when Pod and Fane was introduced in the first episode. So there's a connection there that it's potentially Pot and Fane there. And we see like a shadow of someone walking. So in the books, Pot and Fane does follow them to Shadar Logoth and there's consequences there, but I don't know if we'll see that here. Maybe it'll come back later. You know, They'll have a flashback later in the, in the show to, to show us what he was doing there. But um, Matt finds this dagger, this ruby-hilted dagger that plays a big role as the story goes on. Uh, It's definitely, again, (laughs) definitely different than the books. Uh, I actually like the sequence in the book about how he found the dagger. The three of them, Matt, Rand, Perrin, go off, disobey Moraine's orders, go off and explore. And they, they meet this guy named Mordith, And he kind of say hey, come follow me I, i'm going to show you some stuff and then they go down there and they see all this treasure and all this cool stuff but then they realize something's wrong so they leave but on the way out matt grabs the dagger and um they they escape again different but the end result is the same matt ends up with the dagger um what were you guys thoughts on shadar logath was one of my favorite parts of the story This first book uh, how how did you guys perceive it? Mark?
1: I, I thought it was cool. I liked the look of the city, right? I mean, yeah. this great, magnificent city. Um, for what it was, I I, I like the look of it. I liked, you know, what kind of went on site inside, inside of it. Um cool scene, pretty pretty true to the book, right? They chase him to Shadow Lurgoth, they run out the other side. I think a couple of uh for me I wanted to see I wanted to see Pod and Fane again. I mean, we hear the whistle. We don't really see him, you know. We don't see what's been going on with him. Uh, so, kind of, um, I want to see that. I, I, I just liked, I like the whole look. Cinematography great. There's a ten. Um, I, I, I thought it did kind of a bad job explaining Mashadar what that yeah. shadow was. Oh yeah, um, all of a sudden, yeah. I mean, they've got to know what's going on. I mean. Someone has to know what's going on and no one says anything. And all of a sudden there's just this weird, like darkness following them. And nobody knows why I know why I've <laughs> read the book and I love the book and I like Mashadar. Um, again, if they're trying to appeal to these new viewers. It might be a little confusing, like, Whoa, what's going on? Just the, the shadows chasing him. Oh no, not a yeah. shadow. I- yeah. And, uh, and so I did kind of a bad job explaining it. Um, I've always wondered he, he, again, we kept in Menethrin and cut out Mordith, mordith, right? Just some of those things, you know, like what you know what are we getting out of having Menethrin in and Mordith out? because that is he's a key plot point with Pad and Fane, yeah. and like you said, maybe we're going to have a flashback and and see some something there, but you know it's also important to see you know see him there with Matt, you know, it, it's easy to throw that in, you know, remove that five minutes about the explanation of a song and put five minutes into that. I think that would have been a great switch up right there uh, to, to explain that. But no, over, overall, pretty good scene. I just left a little lacking. I know what's going on, but
2: I, I can see the confusion it would create for other people. Yeah, I agree. I, I think the city, the cinematography in the city is stunning. Look beautiful a really really great job with the set there looks really really great right um i thought that um them you know Rand and going climbing up the tower and you kind of get that overview view overview of the city looks fantastic right um i have to agree with mark though i leaving out mortis is a huge hole right i mean that's the whole point of why why matt leaves with the dagger right because Mordeth is trapped in Shadar Logoth, right? And the only way he can really assert his, you know, get outside is if somebody takes something, right? And that's why he says, hey, rat ran Parent, come check out this stuff, right? And they go down, they check it out. And then, uh, you know, obviously something, something's wrong. They all leave. Matt takes the dagger. Mordeth can leave, right? Mordeth can, can get out of the city, right? He, he ends up, you know, connecting with Pot and Fane later, right? And we can... But but again, that's all conjecture. And we know that because we've read the books, right? Whereas somebody else is like, okay, we watch this. Matt randomly finds this dagger. Who knows what that's for, (laughs) right? And now it's, and then this random black shadow starts attacking people. And then, you know, that random black shadow, shadow mashadar is actually, you know, the the apparition of Mordeth right there, right? But it's, but nobody really knows what that is in, in the scene. And so I think they, to your point, Mark, they, they missed an opportunity to say, this is Mordeth. This is why there's a shadow. I think they could have really easily switched the monethrin with the Mordeth information. So agreed. Makes sense to me. Right.
0: So the group is able to escape as the the shadows chase them. They're able to, they split up at this point, which I was glad to see because um, I liked how the dynamics here that we get from the split up. Uh, we have Rand and Matt take off the different direction. Eggweed and Perrin go another direction. And then um, at this point in the show, anyway, we have we just have Lan and Moraine head off with the horses. And I, I guess Bella dies. I mean, afterwards, we don't see Bella. <laughs> wait,
2: wait, wait. wait, wait. The, the immortal horse, horse is eaten? dead. <laughs> the, yeah. the horse that got eaten was Bella? No. I don't,
0: I don't think so, because there were other horses that ran off. But um, the Rand and Matt and Perrin and Egwene don't leave with a horse. We're in the story, in the book, Egwene and Perrin escape with Bella, right?
2: Right, right.
0: But they don't hear. And then when uh, Lan and Moraine leave, they just have their two horses.
2: That's a good point.
0: Mandarb right. and with Bella. I mean,
2: you, you do see some horses run off in the right. show. Maybe one of those is Bella.
0: Yeah, maybe she escapes. Right. But we don't I see her. So. They know. Bella, oh
2: gosh.
0: I know. Two episodes later, we haven't seen her, so I don't know.
1: <laughs> I mean, that's just something you can't like get rid of. And Bella, the immortal horse, is one of them. I, I think Bella is really the dragon reborn this whole time,
2: and we were yeah. all wrong about Rand. <laughs> yeah, she's
0: the fifth. She's the fifth Taviran or whatever. <laughs>
2: Thank you, yeah. Bella. My God.
0: <laughs> so anyway, uh, the group splits up. We see them leave, but then the show stays on Lan and Moraine. Moraine's, they they stop to rest and Moraine's just kind of in pain. Lan's caring for her. And then we see Nynaeve put a sword to Lan's throat and say, you better tell me where my friends are I'm going to kill you. And then that's the end of the show. they the episode, right? So big cliffhanger. How did Nynaeve survive? How did she find them? Is she going to kill Lan? All that stuff. So... That's where this episode ends.
1: Yeah, I don't know about you guys, but I would have let Scary Shadow take me. I wouldn't have jumped off the freaking walls of, <laughs> of Shadow Lorgoth into the water that you can't even see, right? I mean, like, yeah. hey, let's drop all these 200-foot walls into this water, and I uh, hope there's no rocks underneath us. Yeah.
0: Hopefully it's deep enough. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah. I saw him jump, and I'm just like, uh... <laughs> That's kinda of sketch, but hey, whatever you gotta to do to not get eaten by
2: Shadow.
0: Yeah. I would have jumped.
2: <laughs> yeah. I, I, I probably would have hesitated and then wanted to jump and then it would have been too late. And yeah. you know.
0: Not sure that I would have got you.
2: That would have been the end of me.
0: Yeah. So overall, um, what would you grade this episode? Uh the story and you know just everything what do you guys think for me i'm i'm probably a seven six point seven five some good things mostly it's just disappointment on how shadow Logos turned out i I, like you said the city itself was great but the events were just kind of me
1: yeah um, I'd give it just based off what it is Show, knowing nothing else A seven or an eight, maybe seven and a half I'll say seven and a half um, There were some things that just didn't It didn't flow very well I wasn't given some information that I, I think I should have had uh, As far as Storytelling, holding true to the story We're talking about the will of time Proper, I give it a strong 3.1
2: So when I add them together, I'd probably get about a six Okay yeah, I agree. From a cinematography and, and story on on its own perspective, right, I could give it a seven. Okay. But as far as, you know, tracing the books and kind of the purpose of a lot of the things that we see in episode two, I'd probably be a four or five. So I'd average out about probably about a six to
0: Alright, so that's our review of episode 2 of The Wheel of Time on Amazon Prime, Shadows Waiting. A lot of things we liked, some things we didn't. And we want to thank you for joining us here on this review show. We will be reviewing the third episode up next, and so stay tuned for that. Also check out check us out on our social media pages. Uh, you can follow The Fourth Tavern on Twitter, or The Credible Nerds as well. So check us out there, join in on the conversation online, let us know what you think. So... Thanks for joining us, and may you find water and shade.